The Big Bets on Campus podcast is presented by WinBet Sportsbook, and they've got a great sign-up offer for our listeners. New WinBet patrons who open an account in Indiana, New Jersey, Tennessee, or Virginia and deposit $20 or more can make their first bet risk-free up to $500. And for new accounts in Colorado and Michigan, that risk-free first bet is up to $1,000. That's right, if you open a new WinBet account, make a qualifying deposit, and place your first bet within 10 days, that bet is risk-free up to $1,000 in eligible states. To get started, all you have to do is click on the Action Network link in this episode description. Must be 21 or older to gamble. No one to stop before you start. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. And now, let's start the show. All right, here we go. Welcome to the Big Bets on Campus podcast presented by WinBet. I'm your host, Mike Calabres, and I am joined by my Action Network colleague, Mike Ionello. Stucky and Colin will continue to drop their weekly college football betting previews late night every Thursday into Friday morning this season on the Big Bets on Campus podcast. But every Wednesday afternoon, we are thrilled to be bringing to you, loyal listeners, the Group of Five Deep Dive. It's going to be a short episode covering the best weekly gambling angles and betting matchups across the greatest conferences in college football. So you know what that means. Time to strap on those fun belts, believe in a little action, get ready for a party in the Conference USA. We're going to iron this out. This is going to be really tight. We're going to get some cool names for the AAC and the Mountain West. We're going to make sure that it all works. And I'd like to take this opportunity to welcome my co-host, Mike Ionello, who has also had an incredible passion for the Group of Five all these years. Let's get started. Who is your favorite deep cut Group of Five player ever? When you name drop someone like this, everyone just knows your bona fides and you are a legit guy who lives and breathes these weird small conferences. Mike, how you doing? Hey, Breeze. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. It's, it's week zero. College football is finally here. And yeah, we're talking G5. My favorite Group of Five player is... Luke Getze, you know, quarterback from Akron uh, back in the day, you know, I, I believe it was like 05, 06, he was, he was the Akron quarterback. Uh, maybe it's a little bit cheating because I am a Packers fan and he is the, the Packers quarterback coach right now. So yeah, I'm going to give a little shout out to Luke Getze, you know, pride of Munhall, Pennsylvania. I know we're both PA guys and now, now he's coaching up the MVP. So I, I think half of Aaron Rodgers' success should be, you know, credited to the Mac. So shout out Luke Getze. I would say one of the first two players I fell in love with both came from Northern Illinois, talking Michael DeBerner Turner and Garrett Wolf. I just love their production, the fact that they could run up those crazy numbers. I think that was the wild, wild west days of the Mac. I think they've come back to earth a little bit, but hopefully this season we get to see some some high flying offenses. Western Michigan, in particular, with LB at quarterback, has an opportunity to shock the world in week one against Michigan. And just to kind of set the table for what we're going to discuss in this episode, we're going to get into teams we are thrilled to bet on and fade this year, some win totals, and also get into week zero because the gambling gods have blessed us with you know a nice little G five buffet, some G five versus G five action, as well as you know that Hawaii UCLA game. So lots of things to get into, but let's get it started with this. Every season, 
I don't know if you're like myself, you dig into those college football magazines, you start reading the analytics and you start talking yourself into and out of certain teams by the time, I don't know, May rolls around. So now that we're here in August, there's teams you have to be chopping at the bit to bet on or bet against. And I'll get this started with a team that I am really excited to fade throughout this entire season. And it's New Mexico State. You can see them up on the bookshelf behind me with the guns flaring. Mexico State is a tire fire. In a year in which over, I want to say, close to 60, 65 teams returned 70% or more of their production from last year because of the COVID bonus year, super seniors, transfers being eligible right away. The, the work that Colin Wilson has done for the Action Network with his TARP ratings have been incredible. But it just indicates that so many teams are bringing so much experience back. Not New Mexico State. They return two starters. And this is a team that actually played in the spring. So they were going off against FCS teams. They lost to Tarleton State by 26. And they needed a furious fourth quarter comeback to beat Dixie State, which sounds like a problematic creative team from NCAA football 98. This team is just no good. They can't stop the run, certainly. So right out of the gate playing against UTEP, I love UTEP on the money line. I'm going to tag it on as a free multiplier to every bet I make in week zero. Um, you know, New Mexico State is just a program that really should be dropping down to the FCS level. And even if they did that, they'd probably be in the bottom third of FCS just because of, you know, factors that have bubbled up through recruiting, mainly that speak to the, the buy-in from the university, which is they don't care about this program. So I'm excited to bet, bet against them. I know that they are an independent, but we are going to you know open our doors and open our arms lovingly to those independents to be a part of this G5 deep dive. Who's the team that you're looking forward to fade? I like how we're starting negative on this show. That's that's kind of how the, Mac, the how the G5 is. You know, it's just it's bad football and it's fun to bet on bad football or against it. Um, you know, I I've I've I have a couple that, that came to mind. I'll start with kind of a similar sentiment to you, you know, fading teams that aren't returning production considering everyone else is. Uh, I'm going to go with Arkansas State. I think, you know, they were kind of an exciting offense last year. They, they've they've low-key been a very consistent G5 team. They've had a ton of good coaches, uh, you know, come through that program. But Blake Anderson left for Utah State, which I don't know about you, but I thought was a very weird move. Um, it seems you know, at worst, a lateral move, if not a step down, I'm not sure why he left Arkansas state, but he basically took their whole team with him. You know, he took, obviously they lost Jonathan Adams, who's one of the best G five receivers we've seen in the last couple of years to the NFL. Guess who? Jonathan Adams. This kid is amazing. He took their quarterback, Logan Bonner. He took, you know, Brandon Bowling, their best receiver. He took their best linebacker. Um, they only have five starters on offense and defense coming back. Their leading rusher is gone. So, you know, their defense was horrible last year and their offense was just very good. And now with Blake Anderson gone, taking, you know, basically half their team with him, uh, Arkansas State's definitely a team I'm going to look to fade early on, especially as, you know, they, they did run two quarterbacks last year. So, so Lane Hatcher is still there. And I actually do think Lane Hatcher is very good. But just with so much, you know, with, with so much guys not coming back and so many new starters and their defense was already a mess. Now they only bring back five guys. So Arkansas State's definitely a team I'm, I'm going to look to fade, especially early on in the year. Their team, it's a bit of a wait and see situation for me because I don't want to allow Butch Jones's, you know, recent head coaching work, if we can call it that, to, to overly color my thought on him as a head coach because he's had tremendous success at the G5 level is the reason why. He got the Tennessee job while he was on that you know, trajectory to, to being a very successful college football coach. Um, so having rehabilitated himself in Tuscaloosa, I think there's a chance that he gets the program headed in the right direction. But I agree with you. There's so many holes 
And particularly in a Sunbelt conference, that top to bottom is, is really quite good this year. And I mentioned those TARP ratings earlier. About half of the league returns 70% more of their overall production. So these are, these are grown men playing on these teams. These are teams that are not searching for identity. So you have to be really laser focused and, and running your stuff to the, the best of your ability to compete week in and week out. So I do think it's going to be difficult for them to put in a new scheme replace a lot of those offensive playmakers on the perimeter. And, and also I'm just interested from both a, a fantasy perspective as someone who cares about college fantasy football and just from a, a skill position perspective, Lane Hatcher played really well, but he played in that weird musical chairs situation. And how does that impact a quarterback's mentality? Now he's the guy. There's no looking over his shoulder, which is a positive, but there's also no one bailing him out coming out of the bullpen the way that they did it last year. So I, I'm going to be intrigued to see how he handles being, you know, the face of the program, so to speak. Teams and, that I'm excited about. Yeah, so go ahead. And he's doing it without his top top two receivers. Like I said, you know, Adams is gone, Bowling's gone. So like you said, he's got he's got to take on the role, and he doesn't have kind of his safety nets or his running back are, are all gone. So I, I agree with you. I, I I like Hatcher, but I'm just you know. I'm nervous. I'm kind of a wait and see, maybe fade early. You know, like you said, maybe they put it together late in the year, but I didn't think the first couple of games, I want to see how Hatcher handles that pressure with new weapons and a new coach. And, and so I probably will fade them in, in spots early on. And then real quick, I just want to throw in really quick one more team. I know we've mentioned TARP and returning production, which is huge. One team I think has very misleading returning production that I'm going to fade is Northern Illinois because they brought back basically all of their starters but all their starters were true freshmen last year. So, so even though, you know, they returned their whole production, they're still just sophomores. And like you said, they're, they're, they're playing against grown men. They're still just sophomores. They were bad last year. They brought in Rocky Lombardi, who I'm a big 10 guy, went to Penn state. I hate Rocky Lombardi. I think he's so bad. So, you know, is that even an upgrade? I don't know. So, you know, they have Lombardi at quarterback. I think their tarp is misleading because, they brought everyone back, but they're still just sophomores. So uh, Northern Illinois is definitely another team I I'm looking to fade. Actually, their win total was like four and a half, I found. So I definitely I, I took that. That seems like a lock. So those are those are that's another one I want to throw out there. I, I'm glad that you brought up uh, a tarp one more time because there, there's a, a kind of a finer point that Colin Wilson has mentioned in articles. But for those of you just quickly cross referencing it, you know, trying to put together your Saturday cards and saying, hey, this team returns 81 percent of their production. You know, what exactly does that mean? There's a caveat in there where he, he balances it based on the programs and the offenses that they run. So if a team throws the ball 70% of the time and they bring in a thousand yard rusher, that's not as meaningful as a ground and pound team bringing in that thousand yard rusher. And the same goes in the opposite direction. If you were to bring in a receiver from an offense that is going to give out tons of targets, that's more meaningful than a receiver that's probably going to get three or four in a ball control offense. So just a finer point that I wanted to, to highlight there. Keeping it positive, looking at some teams that we like, I'm going to start in the Sunbelt West and it's Texas State. Now, down in San Marcos, this is a program that's been spinning its wheels three and nine, two years ago, two and 10 last year. I, I think the average casual fan is going to look at it and say to themselves, is the program headed in the right direction? Spavital is probably going to get fired. They need to go in a different direction. I don't view it that way. What I saw last year on the field, particularly in their non-conference schedule, they challenged themselves with SMU, a game where they were uh, three touchdown plus underdogs, and that's a single score game. And then they go to Chestnut Hill and almost beat a very good Boston College team, particularly now that Jakovic has given them an offensive identity. They're moving out of the Adazio days to be in a one score game with Boston College. 
that to me speaks to their overall ceiling and particularly against the spread. You can check out, you know, numbers on a weekly basis over at WinBet. This is a team that was seven and five against the spread last season, even though they were two and 10 overall, you know, straight up. I think that's going to be kind of carrying the day here into 2021 because they're a team that is constantly overlooked. Brady McBride just won the starting job, so they're going to have some continuity. They also have some depth with Vit behind them as QB1 and so much returning production. Think about this. They had so much coming back. They recruited exactly zero high school kids. They only brought people in in the portal and JUCOs. That's it. So everyone they brought in is ready to contribute. They're grown men, you know, to continue with that analogy. And they have so much continuity with their staff, with their players. They did a great job last year getting 12 games in. And that, to me, speaks to the effectiveness of the staff. They had zero COVID issues. They were able to keep it going. I think there's a lot of positives, particularly for a 2-10 and 10 team. So I'm looking forward to playing them this season. Who's a team that you're just, you know, fired up? As soon as that number hits the board, you're, you're slamming them. I'm going to go out to the Mountain West. You know, the Mountain West is going to be an interesting conference this year. You know, you have Boise State's going to be strong, San Jose State, you know, Nevada, Wyoming. I'm really excited about this Fresno State team. You know, Carson Strong is going to get all the love. He's probably the best G5 quarterback. You know, he may be a first-round pick when it's all said and done. But I love Jake Hayner. He is awesome. And he's probably the second-best quarterback in that conference. You know, former Washington transfer, so he has that, that P5 experience. He balled out last year, he had 300 yards in four of the six games. Actually going against Carson Strong, he, he threw for 485 yards against Nevada. Uh, they bring back their top five wide receivers, Jalen Cooper, Josh Kelly are studs. Running back Ronnie Rivers is awesome. He, he was all Mac last year. He's like this little 5'9", 195. He's great in the past game. He's just this quick, shifty little back. Uh, their defense is interesting. It'll be fun. Uh they're third in the country in sacks last year. Love to blitz, but did get torched in the run a little bit. So they bring back 10 starters. So hopefully we can, you know, settle on, settle in the, the run game a little bit on defense. Um, but they're definitely a team I'm very excited about. You know, they're over until it's only six. So I, I, I took a little bit on the over there. I just think they're a fun team. They're going to be very do or die. Their offense can be with anyone. It's one of the best in the country. And like I said, their defense you know, plays aggressive. It takes risks. So I think they'll have games where they win that they probably shouldn't, you know, then they, they'll probably lose a game that they shouldn't lose. But I think they'll, they'll definitely, I think they'll get one of those, those top dogs in the mountain West, whether it's they play Boise at, at home. Um, but then, you know, they go and, and they play Nevada at home, which is another big one, but go to San, San Diego state, go to San Jose state, go to Wyoming. I think they'll get one of those big dogs in the mountain West. And so I I'm very excited about this, this Fresno state team. And they're definitely a team. I'm going to look to bet a lot. Yeah. They're big three of Hayner and Ronnie rivers and Jalen Cropper. I, I agree. I think it's, it's arguably the best in the mountain West and they have a nice springboard opportunity. It, it's a neck crack game in week zero against UConn, a UConn team that didn't play last year. That uh, Bill Conley's, you know, SP plus is looking at, you know, a bottom three defense. So they should probably, you know, if they can continue the hot streak from last season, score in the 40s, 50s in that game. And then they have an opportunity to shock the world in week one against Oregon, who is in a classic look ahead spot with Ohio State on deck. So to come in with a little positive momentum, um, it's something we discussed, you know, before the podcast even started. This idea of these teams that are incomplete, either they're they're high scoring offensively and just a sieve defensively, or you know, they they love to play ball control and they can really rely on their defense. Just incremental improvements can make a huge difference, not only in their straight up record, but how they're doing at the betting window. 
And in this particular instance, I agree with you. Their defense against the run last year was it left a lot to be desired. If they can get just a little bit better, if they can improve by 10 slots, you know, overall and total defense while maintaining that attack, attacking mentality, getting after the quarterback, creating tackles for loss. I think this is a team that not only is going to buy for the Mountain West, but I certainly ha- have my interest peaked um, against them. Or, or for them, I should say, against Oregon in week in week one. So these are teams that we're excited to play, but really it comes down to, you know, at this point in the season, what are some win totals? What are some, you know, maybe conference futures that you still have? And there's still time, head over to WinBet to be able to get those bets in before the season start and have a little action, you know, riding the whole year. So I'll start with you, Ionello. Who's someone that you were excited about throughout the, the preseason? You put some of your own money down and you're going to be following, you know, beginning to end. I'll give you two here. Uh, I took two overs that I really like. One is uh, I love this East Carolina team. I'm all aboard the pirate ship. Uh, Holton Aylers is awesome. He's back for his fourth year, I think. Uh, he's thrown 51 touchdowns in his career at East Carolina. He He's really good. They bring back all five offensive line starters. Um, they bring back really solid receivers. Uh, Raji Harris, who was ACC Rookie of the Year last year, running back. You know, they are more of a running team. They ran the ball really well last year behind that offensive line. But, you know, Holton Aylers, like I said, I really like him as a, as a quarterback. They bring back receiving talent. Uh, and and kind of similar to Fresno State, their defense was iffy at times, but they returned 14 of their top 15 tacklers. And they got progressively better as the year went on. So if they continue to take a step in the right direction on defense, paired with that offense, they finished the year really strong, which, you know, is a good sign for, for going into this year. Smoke Temple, um, BSMU at the end of the year, uh, and they played really well. And people forget, like, they should have beaten Tulsa. They, they, they lost by four points. Tulsa scored with 30 seconds left. And if you remember that game, Tulsa's final drive, there was like three blown calls. I think didn't Tulsa fumble and then they ruled it incomplete. Then there was like a horrific penalty call that, that should have ended the game twice. And, and East Car- they, Tulsa kept the drive going, ended up scoring. So East Carolina totally got screwed there. So, I mean, they should have beat Tulsa who was in the, the conference championship. Like I said, finished with two years or two wins at the end. They have a fairly uh, manageable schedule. Their, their over win total was only five. They played Charleston Southern Temple, South Florida, so there's three wins. They play at Navy, which I think is a win. I'm I'm very down on Navy this year. They play, they get South Carolina at home. South, I, I, they're going to be favored in that game. South Carolina is probably going to be pretty bad. So I mean, right there, you could get to five just if they win those. And then they really only have to win one of Marshall, Tulane, Houston, who I'm down on, Memphis. You know, yeah, they'll probably lose App State, UCF, and Cincinnati, but. If they can get one of that Marshall, Tulane, Houston, Memphis, maybe even two, I mean, you're clearing this by seven. Like I said, East Carolina over five. I think they go bowling. I think this is a really good team. Love Aylers at quarterback. Bring a ton back. So I, I'm, I love this Pirate team. Just kind of a pass for me. I, I don't necessarily have a strong feeling one way or the other, but something does pop out to me. When I look at this schedule and the way that it opens up, because I agree East Carolina was a pesky team last year. And Ehlers has the opportunity to get hot. When you look at his body of work across multiple years, there's been some games where he's just caught fire. And also he gives you a little bit of that power running component. He's not necessarily, you know, a jitterbug when he has the ball in the open field, but he can get, if you're in those two, three yard to gain situations, he can put his shoulder down and make it happen. Um, but when I look at the schedule, opening up against App State, that's a very difficult game. South Carolina, as you mentioned, is winnable, but if they were to lose it, I, I don't think, you know, the sky's fallen on them. 
And then at Marshall, that's a tough spot. So those three games, we're going to nail this point, you know, moving forward on this podcast, you're going to see a lot of group of five teams that are actually pretty good and certainly will be profitable against the spread throughout the year, have difficult Septembers. And from just a, a selfish perspective, if they were to go ahead and go 0-3 there, but be competitive in those games, you're going to see an overcorrection, at least in my opinion, by the public, because they're going to see that zero in the win column when they get into week four against Charleston Southern. And you could end up getting a nice discount, maybe five, six, seven points in a spot where they're actually a good team in disguise. And this is like someone we're going to come back to. And it's just the nature of the beast. A lot of these teams are playing for paychecks and going wherever the action is. If they could have spread out these games and had a South Florida earlier, it's a, a totally different mindset from the public as opposed to an app state playing at, you know, or sorry, app states in Charlotte, a, a neutral site game. That's a really tough game. This app state team, I think, is primed to either be the winner or maybe the runner up in the Sun Belt. And then South Carolina, at least from a running game perspective, and that's something that East Carolina really struggled with. You know, Kevin Harris is going to get as many touches as he can handle in that game. So that's how I'm feeling about East Carolina right now. But I think it, it is worth mentioning that if they can survive that that early season to your over five, five and a half, you're going to get into a spot where you're looking really good if they can steal one or two wins there. Next up, we're talking about a school that has been made famous by the collection of really generational talents that all met at Western Kentucky. You know I'm talking about Nappy Roots. The Western Kentucky Hilltoppers. The pride of the Commonwealth. Oh, no. Oh, no. Hell no, man. I am all in on the Western Kentucky experience out of Conference USA. They went ahead and I think they revolutionized the game. You know, things have opened up in terms of eligibility, the transfer portal, everything related to player movements, but they took it a step further. Not only did they go down and just harvest the organs of Houston Baptist, they went down and got Bailey Zappi, their quarterback, former Walter Payton Award finalist, the FCS Heisman. Bailey Zappi. They get his two of his top three targets. They go in and they also get his offensive coordinator. So there's no learning curve. There's no issue. As soon as fall camp opened, they announced he was the starter. He's the guy. This is really interesting because, as I mentioned before, there's a lot of teams that are incomplete. Western Kentucky needed a reboot on offense, and now they have it. And I still think that they are graded out from a win total perspective as though they're just bringing back last year's offense with a hope for a slight bump up. Bailey Zappi torched North Texas last year, almost orchestrated an upset of Texas Tech. They lose that game, I believe, 35-33. He threw for a million yards in that game. He is not going to wilt under the pressure of moving up from FCS to FBS. And when you look at their schedule, I think it's it's very reasonable to be able to navigate it in conference. Um, they do have some challenges in the non-conference, but this is a team I'm super excited about. I think you would point out accurately I am not the only one talking about Bailey Zappi. This is a team that maybe is getting so much love, they no longer can carry that moniker of sleeper. But as long as you can find it, you know, out in the market at a 10 to 1 to win Commerce USA, I think it's teeming with value. So I'm going to play both. Yeah, like you said, that's honestly the only reason I'm off it. It has nothing to do with, you know, the the talent. Like you said, I I love Bailey Zappi. Love this Houston Baptist. I love what they're doing. I think it's going to work. But, but everyone is so convinced it's going to work that I'm going to just going to have to, I have to say it's not going to work. Cause if you watch that's that's the beauty about G five is what you think is going to happen. Doesn't ever happen. And you know, yeah, their returning production numbers are skewed because like you said, they, they they're revamping the whole offense. They bring back nine starters, five on offense, 
full run defense. And yeah, okay, you're bringing in all the guys from basically Houston Baptist starters coming back. But like, I don't know. I'm just, everyone's so convinced that this offense is just going to step in and be what it was at Houston Baptist. And I'm not, I'm not fully convinced. Like, like I, I think it will work, but I'm not as sold as everyone else. And their defense was bad last year. And it brings back four stars. They had six defensive backs transfer out. This defensive uh, secondary is going to get torched. And I think there'll be a fun team to watch. I think, like you said, they'll, they'll probably beat teams. They shouldn't. I mean, you look at Michigan state, uh, you know, I don't know that Michigan state can score with them. So, you know, they might get a team they shouldn't, but their games are going to be interesting. They're going to be fun over teams to bet. They're going to be fun. You know, that FAU Western Kentucky game is going to be like a hundred to 90. Um, so I, I'm just not as sold strictly because everyone else is seems so sold. Like, it, you know, it seems so obvious that I'm like, it, it can't be that obvious. You know, you know what I mean? Well, Tyson Heldon, I, he, he built a really nice defense last year. I believe they finished eighth against the pass nationally. And yes, they, they have to fill in a lot of new faces there, but they do get uh, Antoine Kincaid back at safety. And at least he can play center field and kind of be the, the elder statesman there. And hopefully his experience can help him be the quarterback of the secondary. But yeah, there's, there's a lot of issues from a personnel standpoint. They need D'Angelo Malone on the edge to be a monster. He's shown in the past that he can be a double-digit sack guy, but they need him to be Conference USA Defensive Player of the Year caliber, really to have a big enough impact that not only is, is he helping their uh, tackle for loss stats, but also having that ripple effect on a green secondary. I, once again, I know I hammer it a lot. I come back to the schedule. An excellent opportunity in a, a scrimmage for them, more or less, against UT Martin, go Skyhawks, there in the opener on September 2nd. That's exactly what they need. They need to come into a buzzsaw right away. Unfortunately, after that, it's three kind of brutal matchups in a row. You know, you got to go to West Point where the wind could be blowing in off the Hudson and you have some issues in the passing game. And certainly Army can go on those seven, eight minute drives and take the ball away from you. Then Indiana and at Michigan State. Those are some really tough games uh, to round out their first four. But once again, I'm going to view the, the first game of the season as kind of that warm up. I'll probably play them in that army spot if it's at the right number. But if they get smacked around by Indiana or Michigan State, I could care less from a weekly betting perspective. And even from the win total, I'm not viewing them as really having an opportunity to win either of those two games. If they equip themselves well and they don't get blown up, that's a nice bonus. But after that, they fly into the schedule. They start with UTSA at home. Then they're at Old Dominion and FIU. There's an opportunity if they can stay healthy and just really learn about themselves and how they want to play defense. Um, I, I think there's a great opportunity for them to fly past this number five, five and a half, depending where you get in the market. Um, and 10 to one, I, we're on the same page. Anything can happen in this conference. I think that there's a lot of teams last year that gave us a smoke screen, either in positive or negative sense because of COVID. There was just so many issues and motivation and players transferring out. I think there's a lot of false narratives that are, are getting bandied about what I know through my own eyes. I watched Houston Baptist play offense. They were fantastic last year and it wasn't some weird gadget offense where they were throwing, you know, 25 bubble screens or, you know, doing some kind of a weird pistol or anything like that. They were just sending him back in the pocket and he was dealing with pressure and he was making strikes all over the field and his receivers, the Stearns brothers, Everyone that they're bringing in, I think it's got to give him more and more confidence. So I'm all in on, on the Hilltoppers this year, and I'm sure that's uh, one way or the other will be either having me gloat or you rub it in you know, my face down the stretch. All right, let's make a, a quick transition here 
to week zero, unless you have some more group of five plays that you'd like to regale our listeners with. There's just one more I'll throw in. I'll try to keep it a little quick. Uh, I have to go to the Mac. The Mac's my favorite conference. Absolutely love the Mac. I love Maction. I love Maction. <laughs> Caleb Ellaby might be the most underrated player in college football, if not quarterback. Only Mac Jones and Zach Wilson finished with a better quarterback rating than Ellaby did last year. He was tied with Mac for yards per attempt. Yeah, a lot of that was to Dwayne Eskridge, who, who's no longer there. He was the little electric factory. But they bring back Sky Moore. They bring back Jalen Hall, their other two receivers. A, a super underrated move I love is the transfer of Bryce Nunnally from Chattanooga. If you watch Chattanooga, he was their entire team. He had, you know, 2,400 yards and 12 touchdowns in the last two years. He, he fills in as another weapon. Now they have three really good ones. Um, they, have, they have three really good running backs that they kind of all use. You know, Jefferson, Kincaid, Sean Tyler. They, they use all three of them. I think having them all back is huge. They're, they get Great pressure on defense, which is something I love in the MAC, creating that havoc. That's huge in, in this conference. They're fifth in the nation in tackles for a loss last year. Either one question is the secondary, but but Bryson Gardner was first team all MAC at safety. He's an awesome player. He kind of runs that defense. So having Gardner back there just always kind of gives me a little bit of confidence. And and they're another team with a very manageable schedule. I would say they they basically have four guaranteed wins with Akron, Illinois State, Northern Illinois, Eastern Michigan. So there's your four right there. And then to get to six, they play San Jose State, Kent State, Central Michigan, and Ball State all at home. They do have to go to Toledo and Buffalo. I mean, we don't know what Buffalo will be this year, but okay, you want to give those two losses. That, those four home games. And then as far as, you know, Power 5 games, I'm not saying they're going to win these games. They probably won't. But when you think of Power 5 teams that are likely to lose a game, they have no business losing. Pitt and Michigan are at the top of that list. So those are their two non-cons is Pitt and Michigan. Again, I'm going to give them losses there, but would it be that surprising if Pitt and Michigan blew a game that they shouldn't? So, you know, I love, like I said, I, I love Ellaby. He's one of, in my opinion, the most underrated players in all of college football. Give me Western Michigan over six all day. And an additional note on them, you know, Tim Lester's squad finished, I want to say 97th in turnover margin last season. And generally speaking, you know, year over year, you, you see a little bit of the luck start to go in, in their favor. They won their first four games and they were right in it with Eastern Michigan in a shootout and they lost by three against Ball State. If one one turnover in particularly the Ball State game goes in their favor, maybe they end up at five and one and we're thinking of them differently. So I, I agree. There's so much to like about them. And I, I think I'm I'll say right now, I'm going to sprinkle a little bit on that that money line. You may have convinced me at you know at the big house. Michigan has a lot of questions and they certainly have an identity issue. Uh, offensively, and also just the overall momentum of the program. It's just all about being priced correctly. I'm, I'm obviously going to wait until game day, see what WinBet is putting out there. But if this is north of four to one in an opportunity like that, I'm going to go ahead and take the Broncos because honestly, college football in general, I think is headed for a more chaotic season with so many teams, not just the top teams, but so many teams returning so much production and steady quarterback play as Western Michigan is. I just think there's going to be a lot of tough outs. So this is a year to really dig into those underdogs, seeing the value and when to pull the trigger on money lines. You want to take a money line, Michigan. I'll take a money line at Pitt. I mean, anyone who watches Pat Narduzzi games, what, what does Pitt do? They win as underdogs on the road and they lose as favorites at home. Watch out for Pat Narduzzi. So <laughs> going into Heinz Field, with Pitt as a likely a you know sizable favorite, 
that that's that's a Narduzzi loss all day long. So I'll sprinkle Western Michigan at Pitt. You could take them at Michigan. Hopefully they win them both. All right. Yeah, you have to tell me this honestly, though. If Kenny Pickett was wearing a bowling green jersey or a Kent State, you know, golden flashes with the alternate with the San Diego Chargers lightning bolt, are you telling me you wouldn't think that he was just a great quarterback? Isn't it just the fact that he's this mediocre power five guy who's been around since the second Bush administration as quarterback. Like, isn't that what's coloring your opinion on Pitt? He's just, he's every Pitt quarterback. He's Nathan Peterman. He's <laughs> Ben DiNucci. He's, you know, Pitt, Pitt just, no, Kenny Pickett stinks. He's like, okay. he's been there for like, I mean, granted it seems like his ninth year. So I'm sure he'll be, be a little better, but Kenny Pickett should be in the Mac, to be honest. He would be a above average Mac quarterback. I will, I will concede that. Caleb Ellaby is a better quarterback than Kenny Pickett, am I? I think. Would you agree oh, with cons- that? Can considerably. When you, oh, look you at, <laughs> like his, his air yard numbers, like he wasn't a dink and dunk guy. He was pushing the ball down the field. He was incredibly exciting to watch. It wasn't just a, a statistical monster r- racking up stats against bad teams. Like he was doing it in exciting fashion. So I agree. I, I was actually surprised that he didn't get poached. You know, in a year where there was free movement, I think it was it was great for Lester and his staff to be able to hold on to him, particularly losing Eskridge who. You can make the argument from a recruiting standpoint. I know they're not allowed to say this, but like, hey, why don't you come over to our program? You just lost your best receiver. You want to continue to look good. Maybe it was floated to him and he just said, you know, action or bust. So more power to him for, for staying there. That boy, Caleb. All right, let's get into week zero uh, in the last couple of minutes here of the podcast. As I mentioned, it's it's a menu that has a few interesting matchups. It certainly has some group of five flavor Let's, let's start with your boys. Let's start with UConn up against Fresno State. It's uh, a four-touchdown spread, 62.5 as the total. I'm not going to get too deep in the weeds on this. I like over 62.5. I think Fresno has an opportunity to lay you know, a 50-burger on UConn. And for all of UConn's issues, they're probably going to play musical chairs at quarterback. Mensa is a running back who has over 2,000 yards of career rushing. So at least they know they can rely on him in game one. You don't have to worry about you know, depth issues or injuries, they're going to run the ball. Fresno State, I think, will at least give them the opportunity to do so. And if UConn can get to 17 points, I feel like this is going to blow by the 62 and a half. What do you think of that play? Like you said, I'm not going to get too much in the weeds. We already talked about how much I love Fresno State. So, you know, they're over. I think they probably cover the spread, although UConn is the defending national champions after all. We can't talk about UConn without me bringing this up. For, for those of you, I teased this to, to Calabrese earlier. For those of you that aren't as in the weeds or up to date with the UConn football program as I am, I am from Connecticut, so grew up liking UConn, more, more the basketball team. But Randy Etzel has the best contract in all of sports. I, I, you said you're not aware of, of his contract, what it, what it entails. He has bonus set up for like the randomest things. Here's an ex- I, I pulled it up so I can read them to you. Here's an example. Randy Etzel gets a $2,000 bonus every game that UConn scores first in. He gets 2K if they're leading at halftime. He gets 2K if they're if they lead the game in points per possession, if they lead the game in total offense. Defensively, if, if his team leads the game in sacks, turnover margin, points per possession, or tackles for a loss margin, he gets 2K each. So if Fresno State wins by 100, but UConn has more sacks. That's a nice 2K in Randy Etzel's pocket at the end of the game. You know Randy Etzel's dialing up that blitz. He knows what that turnover margin is going to be late. He knows that tackle for loss margin. Don't be surprised if UConn's blitzing late in the fourth quarter when they need to swing that tackle for loss margin. That's something to keep an eye on with these Huskies. 
All right, now a quick word from our friends at WinBet, who have a great sign-up offer for our listeners. New WinBet patrons who open an account in Indiana, New Jersey, Tennessee, or Virginia and deposit $20 or more can make their first bet risk-free up to $500. And for new accounts in Colorado and Michigan, that risk-free bet is now up to $1,000. We're talking $1,000. That's probably more than Milo's iced tea is paying Bo Nix. So again, all you have to do is open a new WinBet account, make a qualifying deposit, and place your first bet within 10 days, and that bet is risk-free up to $1,000 in eligible states. To get started, just click on the Action Network link in the episode description. Must be 21 or older to gamble. Know when to stop before you start. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. All right, moving on from the team that we all wanted to talk about, which was UConn, uh, Hawaii-UCLA. This is another total that I had circled. Uh, you can find it at win bets, um, you know, in that 68 point range, depending on when you're listening. I like under here. Um, you know, Todd Graham is a defensive coach. He runs the play calling, you know, as a head coach on the defensive side of the ball. They have a ton returning from a team that struggled, to, to be honest, defensively last year. But they return a lot in their front seven. One of their top targets, uh, defensive tackle, or I should say defensive end, Ote Baker, was, you know, really their number one player on their recruiting board. They bring him in for depth. I think they have an opportunity to bow their necks a little bit and hold UCLA down and force them to beat them through the air. And here's the thing. Dorian Thompson Robinson is a player who can get just about any fan excited because he can extend plays. He can make huge plays with his legs. He has, he's kind of like a streaky three-point shooter. When he starts hitting passes, the offense really goes. But his whole career, he turns the ball over. And I think in a game like this, given what Hawaii has coming back on offense, I think they are going to use Calvin Turner as a Swiss Army knife. They're going to get him involved in the running game and swing passes and everything else. But Todd Graham has to know that they can't beat UCLA in a shootout in this game, particularly on the mainland. And I bring up the mainland because when they play in the lower 48, Hawaii has been an underbetters dream. They're over 70% in their last 10. So I think this is an opportunity here to go under a number and and listen, I think there's always a little bit of, of total inflation when you get into week zero and week one because people have not, you know, maintained their sanity through the gambling winter just to race up to the betting window or, you know, fire up their app and say, I can't wait to bet an under. But this is one of those games for me. I, I think UCLA will pretty much dominate the line of scrimmage uh, when they're on defense and make it very difficult for Hawaii to move the football and consequently make it difficult to surpass that 68. Yeah, I, I really don't like the week zero board. The one bet I played, UCLA Hawaii under. I love this under. For the same thing you said, I, I think for a casual gambler, casual college football fan, you see Hawaii UCLA, you, it's over city. This is not the Hawaii team you're used to. You know, they're, they're, uh, you know Colt Brennan, RIP, one of the most, speaking of, you know, G5 quarterbacks or, or players, Colt Brennan was, he's, he's up there on the, the Mount Rushmore of G5 players, of, of college football players in general. But it's a totally different team. Todd Graham totally changed the offense last year. You know, they were they were 91st in offensive success rate last year, 101st in passing success rate. They, they're not that, you know, air it out, long ball, uh, run and shoot team anymore. They're, they're a dink and dunk kind of offense. They were 93rd in the country in yards per attempt. And, and to your point, you said it, they, they lean on their running back. Their running back was their leading receiver last year. They're more of that, you know, just dink and dunk, run the ball kind of team. So I'm not a fan of the Hawaii offense. I don't like Chevin Cordero really at all. And then on the UCLA side, yeah, I agree with you. I love DTR. I think he's going to have a monster year, but he starts slow. This is his fourth season as the starter. He's completed just 47% of his passes in his previous three season openers. He, he takes a little while to get going. 
And UCLA plays LSU next week. So this is a big time who cares game for them. I, I, I think they'll win. I'm not really worried about them losing. But Chip Kelly has proven he doesn't really take non-cons that seriously. Unders are four and two in his non-cons at UCLA. They're averaging just 15 points per game. He, he's, he has, he's only scored more than 17 points in a non-con at UCLA once. Uh, straight, UCLA is 0-6 straight up in the non-con in Chip Kelly's time at UCLA. They're 1-5 ATS. And, and even before UCLA at Oregon, he was 6-12 and 12 against the spread in his career in non-con games. So again, I don't think they'll lose, but to me, the under is the perfect hedge because if, if UCLA goes out and, and, and smokes Hawaii, I think they stop trying halfway through because they have LSU coming up. Chip Kelly doesn't really care about these games, so they're not going to run it up. And then if Hawaii is going to keep it close, like you said, they're going to have to, you know, muck it up, run the ball, uh, control the clock. They're not going to have a shootout with them and win. So I think realistically, whether UCLA or Hawaii covers, to me, the under is kind of the safe hedge for either. Um, so, so I love the under here. That's that's pretty much the only thing I like in this week. So I'm glad you're on it too because that, that was really the one that jumped out at me immediately. Uh, the last two points I had, as I mentioned, over my shoulder here, the UTEP helmets, three and five last year. They seem to have an offensive identity, returning a running back. Also, they were able to keep a, a local high school kid who's you know probably their best offensive player. There's actually a decent amount to like about the team out of El Paso but for me it's all about fading New Mexico State so the nine and a half ten depending where it lands on game day more so for me I'm interested in the minus 400 on the money line and tacking that onto every other play but when I look at the bottom of the board the last game of the night Southern Utah at San Jose State this one really confused me when I saw the number it's right in that three touchdown range it's at 22 at win bet right now an opportunity to play a San Jose State team that was electric last year returns their entire defense, starting quarterback against the Southern Utah team. Let me just crack open the Lindy's preview magazine here. Big Sky Conference. Oh, are they a top team? Nah, uh, oh, all the way at the bottom. 13th out of 13 teams, the Thunderbirds. And they're only getting 22 points. It, am I missing anything here? Is this just a classic look-ahead opportunity because San Jose State plays USC in what will be essentially their Super Bowl, one of the, the biggest non-conference games in school history? And even so, is there any chance that Southern Utah keeps this within three scores? No. I mean, just no. I did, I'll be honest with you. I didn't know their, their team nickname was the Thunderbirds. I actually love that. Uh, no, there's no chance. I, I think San Jose State such a veteran team. They bring so much back, you know, Starkle could, you know, he can cover the spread in his sleep. I think I, I don't, I mean, they may be, well, I would probably more look at the half, the first half line, maybe if you don't want to worry about, like you said, them looking ahead and, and maybe pulling guys at the end. But I, I think there's such a well-coached team. They're such a veteran team. I, I, I wouldn't worry about that at all. I think they, they probably cover that easily. They're, they're probably getting, they're probably close to covering it by the half. So that, that, that does seem like an, an oddly small line to me. Well, Mike, we did it. We, we didn't come in with too many jitters. We didn't look ahead to the next podcast. You know, we delivered here for the audience. So I appreciate you spending the time getting this kick started. We, you know, kind of picked a little bit at the week zero buffet, but we'll be back in earnest next week to really dive in and, and get into the weeds on everything that we're playing, put together full cards, make sure to uh, grade out our week zero performances as well. Mike, thank you so much. Um, so that'll do it for the Group of Five Deep Dive here on Big Bets on Campus, presented by WinBet. Be sure to rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts, and we'll select reviews to win prizes all season long. This week's winner left a review using the name Vodzilla. 
So Vodzilla, if you're listening, email podcasts at actionnetwork.com to claim your prize. Sucky and Colin Wilson will have their long-awaited week zero college football betting preview episode out tomorrow. So get excited about that. College football is back, baby. Ionello and I will see you next Wednesday here on the Big Bets on Campus podcast. And good luck this weekend.